Well, good morning, church. Man, what a great opportunity to be together this Sunday morning as the family of God to celebrate our risen Savior. Amen. Uh, It's been a great morning so far as we've lifted his name up in praise as we'll take a look into his word here in just a moment to see what the blueprint is for our life, how we should be living. We've gathered around the Lord's table, but uh, what a joy it is to know that we've got Jesus Christ living within us, but we've got each other to get on, uh, get through this journey uh, called life together. We've got to encourage one another on that journey, and so that's one of the things that we get to do every Sunday morning. If you're a guest with us, we want to say welcome. Truly honored that you're with us today. We hope that you've seen Jesus Christ in our midst. And of course, our hope would be if you're looking for a church home, man, we'd love for you to be a part of our Crosspoint family, to jump in with us, to tell the story of hope that is Jesus Christ. And God can use all gift sets uh, to do that. There are numerous ways to get involved. And so we hope that you'll make a decision to be a part of this church family and uh, get to work telling that story of Jesus Christ uh, in the world. Uh, you can take a look at the bulletin to find out the different ways that you can get plugged in. Uh, there are great opportunities that exist out there. One of those ways is I want to remind you, too, we've got our connect groups that have been uh, in the sign-up process and will be this week and next week. Those tables are out by the, uh, by the baptistry and the commons. Uh, that is our teaching model here at Crosspoint. And so uh, the expectation is uh, from leadership is that each and every one of us would be involved in one of those connect groups. Uh, connect groups is a great way to dig deep into the Word of God to discover how practically we're to live as Christ has called us to live through his life. But it's a great way to meet new people too and to get uh, involved in their life, pray with them, pray over them, do life together. Uh, And so uh, I want to encourage you to get out there if you haven't yet, sign up with one of those connect groups and get involved uh, in other people's lives and deeper into the Word of God uh, as well. This morning, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8, so if you've got your Bibles, I hope you'll turn with me there as we're in, uh, hard to believe, the fifth week already as we're looking into the book of Romans, the letter uh, that Paul wrote, and kind of gleaning some facts for us as we live out this life uh, called discipleship, called Jesus. Uh, And so uh, we're going to dig into that even more today. This is a beautiful chapter. You know, there are lots of uh, ways, as I've already said, to get plugged in. One of those I want to make you aware of is last week, just spontaneously, because of Hurricane Harvey, uh, you guys gave about $4,000 on the spot uh, to help out families down south. That is, uh, that's a lot of food, that's a lot of diapers, that's a lot of water, whatever was needed, uh, that went down south. But not only that, you guys gave an entire trailer load full of clothing, bottled water, etc. for the evacuees that are up here in our neck of the woods. And uh, Mark Malik and I think Mickey Fox and others delivered that trailer yesterday uh, to the thousands that are up here in our area who, who have a need because uh, they lost everything uh, in the storm. Uh, and so you're to be commended. You're looking like Jesus. You're the hands and feet of Jesus. And we are thankful so much that you've made a decision to look more like him each uh, and every day. But what do you do in your life when things are turned upside down? I mean, what if your game plan doesn't shake out the way that you thought it was going to shake out? What if your marriage that you've been in for so long suddenly ends in a divorce? It just, that's not what I had planned. What if your adult children are making poor decisions in life that look very different from how you know that you raised them? What if your bank account falls short because you're just not able to get the funds necessary to make ends meet each and every day? What if your own career doesn't come to fruition for whatever reason? Maybe you didn't have time or money to go to school to get that degree, or maybe the doors just aren't opening for you even though you have it. 
I mean, time and time again, we see where life just doesn't seem to shake out the way that we hoped that it would. For many of us, especially this year, uh, we have an empty chair at the table that we did not anticipate. We, time and time again, see heavy loss. We look down south at our neighbors in the Houston area, and uh, many of them have lost so much. Many of them don't have flood insurance, didn't know that that was a special amenity that they needed to have, and so they've literally lost everything. There are moments in time when life doesn't seem fair. And Paul is writing to a church in Rome. It's the center of the world when he's writing. And there is persecution among the church there in Rome. You see, Romans and that culture, that hedonistic, self-centered culture, don't like Christians. And they are on the attack for something that uh, they just don't agree with. Christians are trying to figure out in their world, I'm serving God, and yet my world seems to be turned upside down. How do I move through this? But Paul wants to remind us in this beautiful chapter, chapter 8, that you and I, despite what chaos is going on in the world around us, you and I can have a brand spanking new life in Christ. That no matter what's happening out there, that you and I are sons and daughters of the Most High God. That we are sons and daughters of the King. And he's conquered death. He's conquered everything. And so you and I can have that joyful life. No matter the things that are going on around us, our focus has got to be Jesus and all that he's done for us. Last week I mentioned when life gets blurry, focus on Jesus. And that's exactly what you and I need to do. Paul wrote several letters to the church in Corinth. We have two of those. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, trying to remind the church there, this means that everyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Paul wants the church and us today to realize that our life can be new in Christ. Even though maybe we've made bad decisions along the way, even though there are moments where we've come short of the glory of God, even though in moments there have been been decisions that we wish we could take back and it changed someone else's life forever, you and I can have new life in Christ. And Paul wants to show us that. And so let's dig into our text today in chapter 8. We're going to move around in the chapter this morning. All of our text will be on the screen, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation uh, when we are reading. But let's take a look at verse 10, beginning for us today. Paul says, Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Now church, if you've got your own Bible and you have not highlighted that circle, that underlined that one sentence, you need to do that. This is an incredible moment of truth for us as followers of Christ. That the very Spirit of God lives in you, the same one that raised Christ from the dead. Paul goes on to say just that. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Man, church, that's that's cause to celebrate. That might even be cause to say amen. (laughs) Paul tells us, How awesome it is to be in Christ and for Christ to be within us. And in those four verses, he talks about physical life and spiritual life. And we are reminded that we are going to have very different bodies when resurrection happens, just like Christ. But also in this life, we will have a brand new spirit because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. 
We will be new through and through. And Paul discusses this new life because we have this experience with Jesus. And there are benefits from following Jesus Christ. And notice Paul says here, those that follow Jesus Christ. Uh, Unfortunately, there are those in our world who don't believe in the resurrection story. They don't believe they could be new in Christ, and so they make a decision to follow their own path, to do their own thing. And when we make a decision to do that, then we cannot embrace every blessing that God has for you in your life. When we make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, then we we are able to wrap our arms around everything that God wants for you in your life. When we make a decision to follow the rabbi, Jesus Christ, our world changes. So what I want to do this morning is kind of remind us of three or four different things that will happen when we make a decision to follow the rabbi. When we make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, Paul, in his writing, it leaps off the page and it's a reminder that that number one, that I can struggle without shame. We looked at last week, Paul and his back and forth movement of, of trying to do what's right, but he doesn't get it right and wanting to do, he, what, he knows what's right, but he can't get there. He struggles within himself. You and I are the same way. But look what he says at the beginning of verse or chapter 8, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. No condemnation. Even in the struggle, even when we don't get it right, even when I give in to that temptation on occasion, Paul says, because Christ lives in you, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And Paul here, he says, Therefore, he uses that word, which means preceding chapter 8, there were some things that he brought to fruition. And we notice in the first three chapters of Romans that he puts all of humankind on trial and we all fail miserably. We're all guilty. Paul in chapter 7, as we talked about last week, he goes back and forth with his own struggle, which likens to our struggle as well with temptation. But in verse 25 of chapter 7, he says, thanks be to God. And beginning in chapter 8, therefore. So you and I make a choice as we follow Christ to live each day thankfully and gratefully, proclaiming the great deeds that God has done for us in our life through his son, Jesus Christ. And because Jesus Christ has the victory, we too have the victory. We have victory in Jesus Christ. See, watching Jesus Christ in his life, reading the gospel and seeing how he interacted not only with his heavenly father, but with those around him, we get to see what we should look like, the imitation that is Jesus Christ. That is the mark. That's, that's the goal. That is the, the set that we have our eyes set on. Many of you are uh, veterans. You've been in the military, and so you, like me, had to sit down on the firing range. And for me, when I was in, it was shooting the M16 at 100 yards. You have a little target that you have to hit. You get 40 shots to put in the middle of that thing. I was lucky enough to get 40 shots in the middle, so I got the little ribbon that said, expert, so watch out. I know how to shoot. (laughs) I live in Texas. I can say that now, right? But that's exactly what you do. When you, when you sit down with that weapon and you look at that target downrange, you, 
you slow your breathing. You, you get rid of all the peripherals. You don't think about those. You focus on the target. And when you, spiritually speaking, follow Jesus Christ, when we follow Jesus Christ, that's what we end up doing. When the world gets blurry, we focus on Jesus. And that is our target. That's where we want to aim. That's who we want to be a part of. Jesus said that our living sometimes doesn't look like that we are very focused on Jesus. For many of us, like Paul in chapter 7, it seems that we walk around with our head down in a defeated mode, kind of ashamed of where we are maybe in life. We're dealing with suffering. And if he were here today, Jesus would say, haven't I done enough for you? Haven't I gone the full measure for you? Don't be ashamed. Don't be downhearted. Focus on me. He would go on to say, I know that you're tired. I know that you're weary. I know that you've got a burden within you, but lay it on me. I will give you rest. He says, focus on me. Focus on Jesus. Verse 33 Paul says, Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. And Paul wants to remind us that we should not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because there is no one who can condemn. The only one who could condemn is the one that's actually intervening for you and for me. He sits at the right hand of God and he's pleading our case before the Father. So as you look around at maybe that boss who's always down on you or maybe a spouse that's constantly nagging or a friend that tells you you're just not good enough, or a family member who said, hey, I knew you back when, you can't fool me now. Any of those moments, do not let people bring you down who don't have the right to condemn you. Paul says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul goes on to say that I can suffer with purpose, that there is going to be chaos in my life, there are going to be things happen that I don't really care about, that I don't really want to see in my life. But God can use that for the good. I mean, look what he says in verses 18 and 19. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Have you ever thought about the first part of verse 19? All creation waits. Not just humankind. Not just folks in North America. Not just folks who who live in Jerusalem. But Paul says, all creation waits. I know you've had that experience before, waiting on a fireworks show. Anybody had that before? Going out, set your uh, chair up, or put the, put the, uh, the blanket on the floor, put it out in the grass with the family. We had a great fireworks show that we would always go to when I lived in Kansas City, just down the road from our house. 
and everybody in the, in the whole town came out. It was great. It was over a lake, and it was set to music. Absolutely gorgeous. You'd get there early to make sure you got a parking space, and you wanted to make sure to get that special spot on the grass where you had a great view. You brought the Frisbee, you brought, you brought the football, you brought some snacks, and you kind of played around for a little while, and then eventually it got darker and darker, and you knew what was coming. It was the, the beautiful fireworks show. You'd sit down and you'd wait. Is it time yet? But you'd look into the sky. You've had that moment before, I know. And Paul says, all creation waits for the glory of God to be revealed so that those that are his children will be revealed. What a beautiful picture in my mind that is. We are all going to face challenges along the way, whether we are in Christ or not. So my guess would be I would rather be in Christ and have his joy, his ability to take my burden, his ability to direct me in life through all the chaos than to not have him at all. Every single week I talk with people who are struggling with addiction. I talk to people who have a rocky marriage and they're trying to figure out how to get through. Every week I talk to people who experience death in their family with a family member or friend. Every week I talk to people who are still struggling with the same temptation that they've had for 10 years and they don't know how to move past it, how to get past it. And maybe the song has been stolen from your heart as well. You're downtrodden, you're you're burdened. You you don't know how you're going to get through this moment, but I want to remind you that Jesus also knows what it means to be hit hard. Imagine, if you will, for a moment, in your mind's eye, that heavenly place, absolutely gorgeous, not one ounce of negativity or evil. Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and he sits on his throne, and myriads of angels are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he leaves that to be born in a stable, in the dirt with animal smells because he loves you. Imagine when he starts his ministry, he's thrown out into the wilderness for 40 days to endure temptation from the tempter himself, Satan. He struggles through that, but he, he, makes, he makes it right. He's not accepted in his hometown because they remember him when this couldn't possibly be the Messiah. We know who he is. Isn't his dad Joseph and his mother Mary? He's moved aside by the religious elite as if he doesn't know anything when he, in fact, is the one who wrote the law and created the religious elite. He's accused of things that he has never done before. The last week of his life, as he comes across that mountaintop and looks down to Jerusalem, Before he enters those gates, the text tells us he begins to weep because the people in Jerusalem have said, we don't believe in you and we don't want you. He's killed by the very creation that he created. But he never gave up the struggle. He lived through the adversity. You see, Jesus knows what it means to be hit hard, just like you do in your life. 
And he came here so he could resonate with you. He wants to walk and journey with you. He is the one that can bring you peace and joy. You see, all creation awaits for that moment when all things are made right yet again. The theologian John Calvin said, There is no fragment or particle of the world which is in the grip of the knowledge of its present misery does not hope for resurrection. All of creation awaits that great resurrection day when all things will be made right again. And even in the midst of chaos, we know that God works for the good. You look at the story of Jesus Christ that I just went through. In all of that hardship and all of that issue and all of that chaos and death, God used that to redeem his creation. Verse 28 is that verse that most of us know very well. Paul says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God works for the good. Now, he doesn't say that all things are good. He doesn't say in your life that you can bet everything's going to work out just like you had planned it. He doesn't say that the odds are good for things working out in your favor. He doesn't even say that we hope that God is good. No, what Paul says for us to hear this morning is that God is good. And whatever the chaos is going on in our world, it does not matter. Because Jesus Christ reigns. He is the supreme victor in all things. But in each one of our lives, there is going to be chaos, especially because we follow Jesus Christ. He's promised us that. If you want an easier life, don't follow Jesus, because it's going to get harder. Satan is going to peck away at you. He's going to tempt you. He's going to try to pull your focus again away from Jesus Christ, who wants to have that relationship with you. And so at times when you're having difficulty, when there's chaos in your life, when things don't seem to be adding up, ask yourself a few questions. Back when our uh, sons were young and we lived in Stillwater, I was a uh, coach on a flag football team for the YMCA. Uh, We won't talk about the record, but anyway, we had fun. But there were days when uh, Garrett, being eight years old or so, we would have a loss and Garrett's a very big competitor. He doesn't like to lose, like most of us probably. Gets in the car, he's pretty frustrated. And one of the questions I always ask him in that moment is, what do you think God's trying to teach you today? What are you learning from God today? And once he moved past that initial emotional state, he'd say something like, you know, maybe somebody on the other team needed to win today. Maybe they need, needed some encouragement today. And there were moments, in, in those moments, I would learn from an eight-year-old what it means to deal with chaos in life. Because you lose a flag football game for an eight-year-old, that is chaos. That's, that's tough. The evil, hardship, the pain, the emptiness, the grief that you experience in this world is not God's doing. It is Satan and his archangels. It is not God. It is our enemy. And he will do anything to get your focus off of Jesus Christ. God will do whatever it takes to get you back into his good graces, to get you back in relationship with him. And so that's why he sent his son. And he wants us to focus on his son. God works for the good in everything. 
whatever might be going on in your life. And finally, Paul reminds us that even in the chaos, that I'm never separated from the love of God. Never. He uses that word there. In the Greek, the word never means never. In the Greek. Verse 35. Paul says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, for even the powers of hell cannot separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Jesus Christ our Lord. Nothing. Yes. Wow. Church, we have a special relationship with our Creator because His Son has gone the full measure for us. He has conquered death, He's conquered chaos. And the book of Revelation tells me both will be thrown into the lake of fire. Now, we may lose a battle here and there, but we've won the war. What a blessing that we have that we are more than conquerors. We are. God will restore, He will revive, He will relife us, according to Paul. But there are moments when our own selfish desires pull us away from that relationship with God. But Jesus Christ is that avenue that gets us back to God. When we say goodbye to the things that used to separate us, when I say goodbye to my agenda and my, my life model and say hello to what Jesus wants to offer me, we realize that Jesus ultimately is the, is the healer. He is the forgiver. He's the giver of life. King David knew that. The Bible tells us that King David in the Old Testament was a man after God's own heart. He wanted to imitate God in every way, wanted a deep abiding relationship with him. But David also struggled like you and I with our own selfish desires. He had his own selfish desires that eventually led him into a lustful relationship and murder. But we know what David says in Psalm 32, that he knows God is the forgiver. Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, we too, can experience forgiveness in our own life. There's an icon here in Texas that many of you are probably going to be familiar with, a guy by the name of Sam Houston. Anybody heard of him? Mid-1850s, he's kind of a brawler, a cusser, a drinker. He's a pretty rough character by all stretch, the imagination. And maybe that's what Texas needed in that day and age, I don't know. But his second wife was a devout follower of Christ. She was a Baptist. And she reminded him all the time about the relationship that he needed to have with Jesus Christ. That he could be fully the creation that God had created him to be. And so finally, in a cold November day, 1854, Sam Houston makes a decision to give his life to Christ. And a whole crowd turned out 
at Rocky Creek to see this because this was Sam Houston. Everybody knew Sam Houston. He's going to be a totally different guy after this. This is going to be interesting. As a matter of fact, the story goes, he was such a larger-than-life figure and a rough guy that actually three pastors showed up at the event (laughs) to help out. But Reverend Burleson was the one who was chosen to actually perform the baptism. So they go down into the icy waters of this, this river, He professes Jesus Christ as his Lord, and he's baptized, and he comes up, and Reverend Burleson says, Sam, your sins are washed away. To which Sam replied, Lord, bless the fish. (laughs) (laughs) You see, with Jesus Christ in our life, we can have new life. We can say goodbye to everything that ever was that pulled us out of a relationship with God and we can embrace Jesus Christ and all that he's done for us. You and I can be more than conquerors. We don't have to settle for the script that the world gives us. We don't have to settle for the the world and, and all the chaos it brings our way. There's going to be trouble in my life, but I'll promise you this, I'd rather go through that with Jesus Christ than not. How about you? And like Sam, we can make a decision today to say, I want to be a different person. I want to be baptized. I want to wash away my sin. I want to be everything God's created me to be. And so that's the question for you this morning. Do you want to be there too? Do you want a different outcome than the one that you've been realizing each and every day of your life? Do you want to embrace the relationship that God wants to have with you through his son, Jesus Christ. And my guess would be that if we're all honest in here, we would say yes. I'm tired of living out my agenda, my plan, because it just isn't working. I'd rather dig into what Jesus Christ can offer me. So I'm going to invite the praise team back to the stage at this time. As we sing this song, maybe something in your life is is hindering you from making that full commitment to, to Jesus Christ. Our shepherds and their wives will be gathered along the wall of this room. And as we sing this song, I want to encourage you, if that, you find yourself in that, that position, that you would go to one of our shepherds and let them pray for you, let them pray over you, let them hold your hand as you talk about the toughness and the chaos that's in your life right now. Today is a great day. Here we are, the first Sunday in September, to make a public decision to say, I want to be baptized into Jesus Christ. I want to wash away my sins. I want to be a part of that, that system that God has in place for me to have a relationship with God. Today is that day. Do not leave this building without making a decision to fully embrace everything God wants you to be in his son, Jesus Christ. Because, church, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You and I have a brand new spanking life. Let's stand together.